Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is UXK. 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 I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo. Being a VP in charge of a large org of dev and product and UX teams isn't easy at any company, but Amazon in particular brings special challenges to the role. In this episode of UX Cake, we'll get some great insights on how to get executive buy-in for UX from executive and UX champion Eva Manolas. Eva led dev and product groups at Silicon Graphics and founded Shutterfly before joining Amazon, where she was a VP for 11 years and where she spearheaded innovation in the design and research space in particular. I talked with Eva about the challenges of being a champion for UX, how to get data heads to buy into qualitative data, and how to set up design teams for success with executives. Thanks so much, Eva, for joining me on UX Cake today. Oh, my pleasure. So when I got to know you originally at Amazon, you were a VP, well known to be a champion for UX. Um, You were in charge of an org that included dev and product as well as design and research. But your background is in engineering. And so I'm And I was actually really surprised when I first found that out because you were so passionate um, and involved in design and research. So tell us a little bit about that transition from engineering to um, your passion for design and research. Sure, sure. Um, Yeah, I started out uh, in engineering, um, got over 30 years ago. Um, and was lucky enough for my first job was at a very creative but highly technical company called Silicon Graphics. And in that job, I was a software engineer. I kind of grew through the ranks to a manager and then a director um, there. And I really, in in the work that I did, what I saw was there was a real gap in trying to make the technology we were building computer graphics and digital media workstations, trying to make that technology really accessible to the customers that they were selling those products to. Um, and, you know, really there was a gap there. And, um, you know, like many people, I um, there was, you know, a really uh, pivotal time in my career where I got to work with this guy named Rob Myers, who was just a UX genius. Um, and turned me on to user-centered design and got me involved with a bunch of projects, um, both at work and also in the art, um, art and technology area outside of work. Um, that, that really kind of changed my life and got me much more involved with the consumer facing side of things. And ultimately, um, I then went on to do a couple of startups and uh, become a vice president over both engineering, product, um, and eventually design as well. So talking about one of those startups, you were a co-founder of Shutterfly. And so coming into that experience, 
that's obviously very consumer facing. So going into that, what was your understanding of the value of research and design for e-commerce? Was that something you were already really aware of or did that develop through your startup experience? Um, that we had done some research, user research um, uh, for products at um, SGI, but it was very much the you know the tail end of the product development. So I would say that you know this was back in the '90s, late '80s, and all the way through the '90s. I, I would say most of the most of the work I'd done was very kind of engineering led, and um, at at Shutterfly, you know, really kind of focusing more in on a consumer product, you know, at first we were small, um, but it was really important for us at the company. The first eight people in the company, I think, were three engineers, two product leaders, and a designer. And um, we, you know, if we hadn't had those kind of multidisciplinary influences at the start, I don't, you know, I don't think we would have ended up as doing as well as we did. And, you know, when you're small like that, it's easy, but I think that's one of the critical things as, as teams grow and as companies grow is to kind of have that cross-functional interaction. Well, you were always one of those VPs who was really hands-on and involved in design and, and research as well. So I'm wondering now if that was connected to that startup experience that you had had at Shutterfly. Yeah, you know, I think it was. When I um, joined Amazon, uh, this was way back in 2005, the, the designers were pretty isolated. And, you know, I think that lack of inclusion really impeded their, uh, their ability to, to do great work and or, you know, to, to have an impact on the product. Um, but there were a few product people who were kind of hybrid crossover product and design in their sensibilities and in, um, kind of, and their skills. And, uh, we use the product people to actually pull in the designers and to kind of be translators to get the design more involved in the process. And and I'd love to hear your take on how that shifted because by the time you left, I, now there's over a, a thousand people in UX at Amazon, and UX is a really important role in in most of the orgs, but. I know it hasn't always been that way. And so you explained a little how it was in 2005. I'm curious how that transition came about. Um, yeah, I, you know, I came in to um, really help Amazon design and customize its shopping experiences for different types of products. They're already, you know, quite a, a leader, of course, in books and, and had a pretty good presence in, you know, at that time, DVDs and CDs, but had started selling kitchen and apparel and shoes, but weren't, you know, it was just a horrible experience. They weren't um, growing or, you know, doing as well as they would have liked at that time. So, I, you know, one of my first projects was working with, you know, the team that had been already started working on a product for jewelry, and they had a great product leader. So they were doing, you know, uh, I think moving faster and creating a more customer centric experience than some of the other teams. 
And they had a designer working with them who was also very talented. But she came to me after the product as she, they were working on it. And she said, you know, design isn't in, in most of the meetings. We're not really involved. It's really hard to do our jobs. And so I started meeting with her and the other designers. And we, you know, we would invite them into the meetings where we were talking about the customer and the product strategy um, right from the beginning of the project. And we did a better job, quite frankly, than the other teams in the way they were operating. And um, slowly, kind of other teams like the consumer electronics team and the kitchen team and, and several other teams came, to, you know, started coming to me and saying, how are you, how are you doing this? What are you doing? And I was like, well, there's, you know, they invited me to some of their meetings and the designers weren't there. And eventually, you know, they asked me to take over their designers and really kind of help teach them. But the, it wasn't teaching the designers as much as it was teaching the, the bigger team how to work with the designers and making sure that the designers were part of the process. Yeah, for sure. The business side needs to learn about design, although it's great for designers to learn more about business too. I think both sides have to learn empathy, but I think that story is a good example of the value of having an executive UX champion. I mean, it's really hard for the teams that don't have that. The other teams, for example, that weren't getting invited to the meetings. So I'm curious if, if you've seen examples of, of tactics to get product teams to buy into UX without the presence of an executive champion. Yeah, sure. The You know, I, I don't think it's necessarily what level you're at, but they, they do need to be, you do need to find someone who's senior enough uh, and it varies company to company a lot. You know, at Amazon, we do have, tend to have people at many different levels in product reviews. Some companies it's, are more hierarchical, but you do need someone who's senior enough and has enough experience and I think view of the business in order to articulate what the, what the impact of the design and participation of the designers in the process can have on the, on a project. And I've usually find that product managers often, and people with that background often play that role, uh, but it can be technical leaders as well. But it's someone who has more general manager sensibilities and is looking at, you know, what, what are the critical aspects of the product? and helping translate the work that the designers are doing to those critical success factors. And so I think that's something that designers need to learn as well. They need to participate in, in the, and, and of course they already participate in the research on the customer to understand what's going to be most important to the customer and articulate their work in those terms. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that might actually be part of the answer to the next question I have as well. But have you encountered skepticism about the value of UX from the executives that you've worked with? And how do you address that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I think when I first got to Amazon, uh, I rem very distinctly remember a conversation with another VP. And he's and he said, these exact words, he said, well, we're not going to spend time making it pretty. And that's completely besides the point. 
you know, I think there are times when making something pleasing and aesthetically beautiful are important, but that wasn't, that was, he was narrowing and sort of pigeonholing design into just one dimension of design and not acknowledging that the work was about the priorities of the customer and the structure of the product um, and the value proposition of the product. And that's the work that designers do. And, you know, I had to spend some time really kind of educating him on, well, that's not actually the point of the work that the designers are doing in a later project, not at that moment. But later, I took the time to also educate him on the importance of aesthetics and clean, clear design in the, the usability and usefulness of products. But, you know, he basically had not, didn't really understand what design designers do and what the practice is. And so I think, you know, the, it's very easy, especially for designers to get defensive when challenged in that way. And the important thing is to not, not go for the bait and, you know, pause and help explain what the point of the work that they're doing is and to educate others. And when you say educate, um, helping to educate him on the value. Like, what were the actual tactics that you used to do that? Uh, yeah, that's great. It's great. You know, most people, I think, are have have a um, comfort or, or you know an ease in looking at mockups and you know potential designs. You know, as a project is being concepted and and developed, and so you know, I often would start off by getting people more involved and kind of walk them through or have the designers walk them through some of the alternative mock-ups and designs that were considered and explain the process of refining and improving and arriving at the, the recommended design. In doing that, I found really the most effective way to do that was to show people clips from customers and that helped take it out of the realm of opinion and each person at the table's personal experience and really generalize it more broadly to, to what the customer, uh, what actual customers were seeing and how they were more successful or less successful with a particular design. Yeah, that's a great tactic to use if you've got video of customers, which is one of the great reasons to get videos of your customers actually using your products. Amazon is is really well known as being extremely data driven. It always has been. That was kind of the premise when it started. So how did you get other executives to buy into the more and you know, even Jeff B. Yeah. To buy into the more qualitative data of user research. Yeah. Well, I think it's like many things, you know, we we had to show people. And so we started started small. We had a small user research team. We put them on the most important projects. And then, you know, as those projects and the research we were doing and prototyping and, you know, vetting different ideas against real customers, we just started showing the results and how that helped us make decisions and ended up with better products. And, you know, it took many iterations of showing them and demonstrating that this was really working. You know, we got a lot of people, particularly at the beginning, saying, well, 
you've got a sample size of six or 12, you know, that's not statistically significant. We've got millions of data points. Um, and we're like, well, it's not an either or question. It's looking at those millions of data points, finding the groupings, finding representative customers that apply to those groupings or segments of data points that were gathered in the more common ways done at Amazon and integrating those two approaches together rather than having it be do this or do that. It was a way to take that data and apply it more effectively to the actual experience of the customer. And did you have any tactics that worked really well, maybe more than others, to show the value of the qualitative along with the quantitative? Yeah, you know, we did many other product and tech teams had data mining folks, and we did not initially have someone on the UX team. And so we, you know, it was a, it was a huge step function for us when we actually hired someone internal to the team. And, you know, the designers, you know, at first it was a little awkward because they spoke completely different languages. But then as we learned, you know, what kind of questions we could ask of the data that Amazon had about its customers of the clickstream, et cetera, and the transaction data, once we learned how to ask questions, you know, that that database person, that data mining person was like the most popular guy in the group. <laughs> and and it again, prior to that, we had the product teams would give us data, but you know, it was the data that they wanted to look at and felt was important. And it, it was a big step to start to, you know, ask some questions beyond the questions that the product team was already asking. Wow, that yeah, that sounds really powerful. I can see how that would be a game changer. One other question I'd love to ask you about the UX teams that you led. One of the most common complaints we hear from designers is that everyone thinks they're a designer, right? (laughs) So uh, you get PMs or devs or GMs or executives trying to make design decisions all the time. So I'm curious how you helped the design leaders in your org actually own the design decisions. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's absolutely true. Everyone has has an opinion, and you know, especially with consumer facing products, kind of everyone is a customer, so it does make sense to listen to their opinion. But what I was constantly reminding reminding people is they're they are the sample size of one, so they're one customer. They don't represent necessarily the average customer. In fact. They work at Amazon. They probably already know way too much to be representative of the customer. And it's hard. It's really hard. You're always going to get input like, oh, why don't you make it blue or move the button over there? And, you know, we constantly just have to remind ourselves, remind the people in the meeting that what's more, what's more useful is for them to tell us what they're trying to affect. It's like, that, you know, it'd be, it's helpful feedback if you're in a review and someone tells you, Oh, I didn't even notice that, that action I could take. And that's great feedback to a designer that they need to make something more prominent or maybe give it more white space. And so, you know, the, the best way to interact in that kind of a situation where 
a non-designer is kind of giving you what they think the answer is, is to ask them what the intent of the suggestion is and then apply the broader skills that, that you have as a designer to offer. Maybe they are right. Maybe it's a good idea with knowing what their intent is, or maybe there are other alternatives that are even better. I've seen that to be really successful as well at the point when you're, when you're getting to lots of solutions to step back and say, okay, I hear you. Let's identify what the problem is. And I found that most people, including executives, um, respond really well to that. They understand, oh yeah, let's, let's not try to design that right here. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, it's time to go to the mini mentoring brainstorm. How this works is that I've gotten a question from a UX pro related to today's topic. I'll get your insights and then we'll do some brainstorming on some ways to approach the situation. Okay. So today's question comes from Devin. Devin says, I'm a senior PM at a company where PMs create wireframes and UI designers turn them into comps for the developers. Sounds familiar. I've been trying to get more experienced UX designers since I started a year ago, but I can't get the headcount even though our execs agree that we need to make our product easier to use. Now we have a new product we're working on to compete with new products that promote how easy they are to use and our GMs want to hire a design firm. He says uh, we can hire a researcher and a UX designer for almost the same cost as the agency, and then we could continue to improve all our products. But the GM still wants to hire the firm because the funding comes from a different budget than (laughs) headcount. That sounds familiar. Yeah. So Devin says, this seems really short-sighted to me. How can I persuade him of the long-term value of dedicated UX resources? What are your thoughts? Oh, that's it. That it, that does sound a little familiar. Um, the, you know, I think one, he probably, you know, coming from different a different place probably isn't really the issue, but it is a... Um, fixed amount of investment versus an ongoing investment that you would have of hiring someone. And so he can try and talk to the leader and say, hey, this is something we're going to have to do many, many, many times across all of our products. So we should hire people who have those skills in-house and it, in the long run, all our products will get better and it will be and they will be less expensive. But there are other reasons that this manager may want to stay with the design firm. So they probably have, uh, or at least the, the pitch that he got was, was likely that the, the design firm has more experienced designers, uh, across multiple disciplines that they would bring to bear on the product. And, you know, he doesn't have the, the delay of having to go find those people and hire those people. So, you know, he can try and talk to him about the fact that having someone on staff would give you the ability, them the ability to work on other products in the future. But if he doesn't succeed with that, I would get as involved as he can with the design firm and then kind of annotate the project as they're going through it 
and and continue making the case again, but in this but with the specific examples of the project that they're working on with a design firm. Yeah, using the experience with a design firm as kind of an example of, look, if we had these resources, we could continue. We could we could do this again. Right. I was wondering if it sounded to me like like maybe the PM has worked with UX before. He's fam- so, you know, maybe he's familiar with the value of UX design because uh, probably he worked with good UX designers before and maybe this GM hasn't experienced that. So I wonder if besides the PM getting as involved as possible, maybe taking a tactic from your playbook, getting the GM involved and and getting him to actually see the iterations and the um, evolution when you have a really experienced team that knows what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, the, the, you know, it's, it, it is kind of, they, some leaders and product folks and tech folks just need to, they need to experience it in order to believe it. So you do end up oftentimes with a little bit of a chicken and an egg problem, but, in you know exposing him to what the designers from the design firm do and then maybe even saying hey do you want to meet my friend the designer <laughs> who might be available to be hired um you know at some point depends how senior the people involved are but you know is another way to, to demonstrate by having them see the work that that readily accessible resources have done and also looking at getting the GM working with experienced UX designers, even if they're an outside firm. I see this as part of a longer term game plan, actually. Yeah. Like, like turn it around. Look at this as a step that you could take in a much longer term goal. Look at the bigger picture of getting your entire exec team to be on board. Yeah. And then I think in that process, one thing to pay attention to and to note is when you bring in external resources, they have to kind of learn a lot of, con- they have to gain a lot of context and try and understand your customer. And for, from all functions, but especially design and product, having people on staff who know the customer well and are building upon that from project to project can save a lot of time, actually, and time to market. So it, it can be a lot more efficient to have the in-house staff, but I think he's going to have to, he or she's going to have to experience that if they're kind of set already on doing this external design firm. So being prepared with the arguments for bringing this in-house on the next project and making sure this project goes really well. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen some people who didn't want to go with an outside firm almost uh, sabotage the project. And I think that would be a really unfortunate thing to do when you could use it to be a tool to getting what you think is the right thing to do longer term. Yeah, I think I've I've seen that as well. And, you know, that's really all that's going to do is backfire on the individual and they're not going to get to be as big a part of the process as they would like. And then the product, you know, may or may not suffer, but that person won't get to participate in it. Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, um, I think we've, we got a few ideas from our little brainstorm for Devin. Get involved, get your GM involved in the whole process. 
get your arguments ready for after the design firm creates a, a fantastic outcome. So you can use that as part of a long-term plan to get more UX resources internally. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of this episode. I want to thank you again, Eva, so much. That was a lot of fun and super insightful. Oh, my pleasure. Okay, so there you have it. Such great advice on bringing your execs into the process to really show the, the value of UX. I want to point out also that it's really important to highlight the strategic aspects of design and research and their effect on the outcome because you, you need to speak the language of your stakeholders on the business side. Thanks for joining me for a slice of UX cake, and I'm really looking forward to serving you another piece next week.